This podcast is brought to you by the Specialty Produce Network. The Specialty Produce app is the world's number one handheld resource on produce. The app features photographs, recipes, geography and history, taste and culinary applications on over 1,900 produce items. From apples to zapote, we've got your produce questions answered. Our app is available for both iPhone and Android. Download our app for free today. Welcome to Vibrant Raw Living. I'm your host, Victoria Madian. Join me on a journey of discovering your infinite potential. Hi, you guys. Welcome to another episode of Vibrant Raw Living. Today, I'm joined by CEO and founder of Just for Kicks, Cindy Clow, and she's an accomplished competition coach and businesswoman, and I'm so excited to have her on the podcast today. Thank you for joining me, Cindy. Well, thank you. I'm excited to talk with you. Yeah, I'm really excited for all that you have to share with the audience. There's You're an absolute treasure of knowledge, so I'm just so excited. So I want to start with, where did you grow up? I grew up right in the same town I'm in right now, Brainerd, Minnesota. Central Minnesota, little small town. And when did you start to know that dance was something that was going to be a part of your life for a long time? Probably when I was in my early 20s and I started having some success. And, you know, I think my telltale was when I dropped out of college for it because I didn't want to leave my team and much to my parents' dismay, you know, I, I decided to drop out of school. So mm-hmm. I think then I knew, okay, I'm committed here. Yeah. And where were you going to school at the time? I was just going to a, I was just going to a two-year college and then I was supposed to, I did that and then I was supposed to move to go to my next step. And I decided not to, to stay okay. with, with the team I was working with. Awesome. Well, you've become an accomplished and recognized coach, not only in cheer, but in dance as well. And I wanted to ask you what just, just dance, just oh, to oh, clarify. Okay. I don't do cheer. I do all dance. Everything okay. dance. Yeah. Thank you. So what type of leadership techniques have been highly effective for you over the years in regards to team building and helping your students push their potential? Well, I really feel um that's the number one thing that that coaches need to focus on is is morale and commitment and leadership because you can have all the X's and O's and um, technique that you imaginable. But if you don't have the bond of commitment and that type of thing, you're never going to be any good. So I think that the, one of the biggest things is getting kids to believe in themselves Mm -hmm. and believe they actually can do what they are setting out to do is one of, is one of the first things. Um, faith in themselves and someone behind them always going, you're going to get this. And I work a lot on not shaming on, on more trying to focus on the positive. Mm-hmm. So I don't know when you say leadership skills, it's, it, it, it's just a way that you operate day in and day out. That's a real positive. Um, we push, I mean, my team pushes hard. I read a lot. I read things like, you know, I want my team to get better and better. And so I try different techniques to improve myself as Mm -hmm. a leader as well as them. 
Great. And I know sometimes from my end, being a choreographer and a dance instructor myself, that sometimes I feel like getting my dancers to really go full out, whether it be giving full emotion or full facials, can be something that seems like such a chore to drag out of them. Do you have any special techniques that you like to use or any creative ways to help them dance more full out so that they're really maximizing their performance? I totally think, yeah, I, I think you're so right that that can be a challenge. And I hear that a lot at, at camp in the summer when mm-hmm. I've been camps is that, you know, how do we get our kids to go full out? And I think it has to become kind of part of your culture. Mm-hmm. It has to become the norm for your team that this is just the way we dance yeah. all the time. And once a few kids start getting attention for it, mm-hmm. it will come with the rest of them. Like it's, it's such a big thing. You know, once you get it going, it's just like, keeps going and keeps going. It's, it's hard initially. I think, um, doing half sides, you know, one day I said to my kids, it'd be just like not turning or not, not doing the arm movements. You can't not, totally. not do the smiles. It's part or the facials or the emotion, depending on the style of dance. It's, right. It's totally a part of our score. Mm-hmm. So yeah, and helps. I think sometimes because maybe it's not emphasized on as much as technique on a technical or you know, on a competitive score sheet, I feel like technique is sometimes 40 to 50%, sometimes even 60%. But I know that sometimes you just, and a lot of them think it's just going to happen once they get on stage, that the performance aspect is just going to happen once it's out there. But I think just like in life too, if you don't prepare for things that could potentially happen, you're not always going to know exactly what to do when it happens. And it's good to prepare and do things ahead of time. Yeah, you have to rehearse. You have yeah. to rehearse. And energy you have to rehearse. Yeah. And it, it takes more energy to, to dance that way with power. So if you don't do it until the day of, you're not going to have the energy to get through it. You're going to be overtired. Yeah. And I also, one of the things I, I tell my upper level kids is you may be able to do it and then go out there and and perform. But I need the younger kids to learn from you mm-hmm. to set the example so that they understand this is what we're doing. So. So what moments or times in your life have you experienced your coaching skills come in handy um, for getting yourself through difficult situations in your own life and in your family's lives? Because I know, like, you know, sometimes we have to coach our th- ourselves through times in our life where maybe everything's not going straight, it's not going perfect, and there's some unexpected challenges. Oh, yeah. I I feel like the attitude I take with my teams, which is a positive attitude, has really helped me with my personal life. And, um, you know, I've gone through a few challenges here and there. Are you wanting me to share anything like that? Or if you're willing to, I think um, it would be really inspiring for our audience I, to hear. Well, I always kind of chuckle that the week of nine 11, mm-hmm. uh, I, I tragically lost my sister and I, so my sister passed away that week and my, my neighbor who was going crazy at the time, um, she had like uh, dementia and she was accusing my child, my 18 year old son of stalking her. So I had police surveillance on my son. My sister passed away. And uh, and then I had another local dance studio um, threaten a lawsuit on me. So on the scale of one week, I go other than, um, you know, other than all of these things, I'm doing great this week. So, mm. you know, <laughs> so we all go through things and, yeah. and I think it's always important to think of the positive and you know, realize someone's got it worse somewhere, but you can talk yourself through anything. I think even with busyness as, you know, as challenging as it can be at the level of 
management I'm at right now, I think I need to talk myself through that sometimes on a daily basis. Mm -hmm. Like you got this, you know, you can do this. So Totally. totally. Yeah. So how do you find your approach to choreographing for a range of different competitions when it comes to studio dance competitions, drill teams, collegiate dance competitions, and what has been consistent throughout all of that and how are they different? How do you approach working with the teams differently um, and how do you approach it the same? Well, I think first when you're, whatever you're choreographing for, you have to take a look at the judging sheet and Mm -hmm. see what, what is value to them. Right. If I'm, if I'm choreographing for something on a stage, it's Mm -hmm. way different. And if I'm choreographing for something, like, for instance, I do the Outback Bowl halftime choreography, and that's in a bowl arena. So the visuals that I'm looking for from looking straight down are so much different than when you're looking up at a stage. So I think it's really smart to think of the angles that you're um, going to. And it's also the audience and the judges and the uh, obviously the age level when you're talking collegiate. Mm -hmm. There's just different types of choreography for that. And you just need to be aware of what you're doing. And I always like to ask, you know, if I'm choreographing for someone, I always like to ask, is this what you're looking for? I get going a little bit and maybe send them some so that I'm not totally going on the wrong um, mm-hmm. line. But I feel like if I'm doing high school dance team, which is my big thing, you need bigger mu- movement when you're going to be on an arena floor. You need bigger movement and right. a lot of visuals with the legs and the arms than if you're on a stage. So it's a totally different aspect that way. Stage would probably be more technical and more ons and offs and and that type of thing. Yeah. Are there any choreographers that have been inspiring to you over time? Well, Mia Michaels, Mm -hmm. I love. And, you know, just different people I've worked with, truthfully. Some of the people that aren't famous, but that I've worked with a lot in the camp field and different, you know, people that no one would probably know have been inspiring to me. I love working with my daughter. We banter back and forth and we, we hear things differently musicality wise. Mm-hmm. And it's fun to be comfortable enough with someone to be able to choreograph. So that's fun for me. Awesome. But um, yeah, it's very fun. I love it. So what have your relationships with your students? Um, how have those evolved over the years? Cause you've obviously, you know, been working in this industry for quite some time and, you probably got to see a lot of your students grow into, you know, other stages of their life. And do you feel like this has been something that you you feel like dance has been an important part of shaping who they are? Oh, absolutely. And I, I hear that over and over back from kids who I've coached, you know, that are now adults. And mm-hmm. now I have their children. I'm, dan- yeah. I'm coaching some of their children, which is really very heartwarming. But, oh, you hear so many positive things like, you know, I was maybe struggling and I used this to help me through it, even starting from college, but even sometimes when they go through, you know, things with their career, or their family, mm-hmm. you'll hear back. But um, I recently had my 40th anniversary of coaching high school wow. and I wow. literally, some of the coaches sent out, you know, requests for people to send cards and it was so fun. I had over, oh gosh, just like a box full of cards. That was so, so exciting. And Kids that you hadn't even really thought of for, a, you know, former students that I hadn't thought of for a long time. Mm-hmm. It was really, really neat to see. That's so awesome. sometimes when you're, yeah, sometimes when you're putting this time in as a coach and you're like, is this really <laughs> worth it? It is. It is because you are making a difference. Totally. And then 
you know, to see him successful as, you know, I have kids that are, I call them kids, but I mean, former team members that are newscasters or doctors or lawyers or, um, you know, teachers, all these different professions. Mm-hmm. So, so neat to see what they have become. Totally. Oh, that's awesome. Um, so what is now getting into your business? I think, well, actually, I have one more question before we go on to okay. that. Okay. So, being that you have worked with a lot of high schoolers, I experienced that for a lot of, you know, I experienced this when I was younger and then also now being that I'm working with a lot of teenagers, that sometimes during the high school phase, people can lose dance as something that's important to them and they're focused a lot more on school and just that delicate balance of making everything work sometimes doesn't always um it doesn't always work. And either, you know, it's the parents that want them to focus on more on academics. How do you suggest dancers keep dance a part of their life to whatever degree that they can during high school? Because I know for me, having dance as an outlet when I was in high school was so important for me. And I can't imagine having gone through high school any other way. But yeah, I, I just feel, you know, I feel it's so important and I do hear how hard it is, especially with all the demands, you know, with, uh, harder classes and ACTs and getting in, you know, getting into college and all that, um, possibly for coaches like myself to remember that and cut them some slack here and there. And, you know, I think sometimes the bond between studios and high school teams has to be more workable. But I guess I would suggest that they keep it in their life somewhere because I, even if it can't be on a, you know, a competitive team to maybe do a rec team because that outlet for, for creativity and, and feeling a feeling of belonging is so important when you're in high school. And I think having that network of people to hold and surround you is so important for kids. Very, very important. And I also feel it's a time in the life when their life when they don't necessarily listen to coaches or to parents to parents, but they will listen to a coach. Mm-hmm. So, so if you can go, you know, I, I can't tell you how many times I've had a parent say, you've got to talk to her. I can't get through to her. And, you know, so maybe I'll have a heart to heart or go out to coffee. I, I think that's so important for kids. Absolutely. So yeah, I've experienced that with some of my students as well. And Absolutely. it is, it's nice to be able to experience that kind of special bond as a mentor with them in their lives. And, um, yeah, I'm happy to hear you say that. Yeah. It's probably more important than the dance. Truthfully, they need that other adult mm-hmm. in their life to, to kind of be their push or, you know, tell them what's right and wrong and totally. Yeah. So now moving on to your business, what started the inspiration for your business just for kicks? Well, it was probably about five seconds of thought, truthfully. Um, you know, now it's way more calculated and thought out. But at that time, when we started our business, my husband and I, I was coaching a high school team and I was actually a twirler, not a dancer as much, believe it or not. But my t- my team started having some success and they performed at some various local things. And I had parents coming to me going, would you teach our kids what you're doing? And it was such a different type of dance it was more precision dance. It wasn't your tr- traditional tap ballet jazz right. at that time. You know, now we've changed into 
full everything, you know, but, um, so that's how we started people asking me to teach locally. And then I started getting calls from people. Would you come do a, you know, like a clinic for my high school team? And, um, so I would just go do it. I didn't charge cause I loved it. I didn't, I, I just loved to do it. Mm-hmm. And it was, it was actually my band director at the time at our local high school. And I was a music kind of music geek student. And so he knew me real well. And he was like, you know, you could sell your choreography. You kind of have a gift. And I'm like, you think, you think, you know, mm-hmm. so, you know, and that's kind of how we started, but now, um, we're in over 200 communities with our youth programs. And I think we're up to 20, oh, about 25,000 students. That's amazing. Awesome. It's, it's awesome sometimes, not all the time. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, I mean, it's great that you're able to oh, reach that many right. students it's at so- this point, you know, that it's grown to the, the point that it has. It's exciting in that I love our philosophy of how we treat kids. So, you know, our philosophy is always that we want to treat everyone's children like they're our own children and try to, you know, not have to worry about being the best, but doing their best. And so that's neat. I'm proud of that. Awesome. Yeah. So what have you, being that you have experience working and training with a variety of ages, how do you keep the process of learning exciting and engaging for dancers through the years? And I mean, I speak for myself. I feel like Tiny Tots, it takes a special kind of patience to work with the little, oh, the really yeah. little ones. Well, um, that, yeah, it does. And that <laughs> that's something that I feel just in the last three years, we have really honed in on with our company. And I had gone to something in New York and listened to a couple different people and it was like a light bulb went off. So now we've redone everything we're doing for preschool and it is so active and music based and switches gears about every 10 seconds, you know, not, not that fast, but you know how they just have such a short tension span. So, yeah. So what I try to do now is have so much to do to fill that half hour that it literally flies by where I used to be like, you got to be kidding me. I have 20 minutes left and we use a lot of props, but uh, you know, it's real funny because I have my high school kids help me with the preschool kids and they're going, Oh my gosh, she changes into an alien, you know, because I treat the little ones so different. You have to to change with every group. You totally Totally. do every age. And I feel, you know, say you're getting with fourth and fifth grade, you almost have to teach them older, treat them older than they are because they think they're older than they are. And yeah, so every age has its unique, uh, unique thing to work with. And, and I, I feel like we do a pretty good job with that. But yeah. yeah, I think that's something that I definitely have tried to bring into my own repertoire is engaging them in such a way where they appreciate the discipline that they are practicing at the time when they're working with me, but at the same time, enjoying the process of learning and just keeping that really balanced and focused in class for sure. Um, For sure. And I I think you mentioned the discipline part. I, you know, I, I really believe kids want to be good. I believe, I believe they want to be disciplined and they, they want someone to hold them accountable. They're very proud they're very proud of their hard work ethic. So yeah, I, I agree with you on that. Yeah. And I feel like they always, they do, they just want to please their instructors. They want to be like, you know, is this good enough? And then I feel like that is something that I feel like I do try to foster in them is that they push themselves to 
to a certain extent to meet the standards that we're holding for them because we know that we're capable of them, but also have those standards for themselves so that they can push themselves in their lives, you know, beyond dance to hold themselves accountable for their goals and in a positive way, not in a self-deprecating way. And I think the fact that you use so much positivity in all of your coaching really does make a difference in the long term with the engagement of students wanting to stick with it long term and um, have a positive outlook on a lot of different aspects of their life. Oh, I agree. I I recently was watching um, Coach K from Duke University on TV. And one of the things he was saying is to try to get your your players or dancers to switch their or to realize they can up their limits. They can handle more than they could handle prior. Now they can raise the bar on their limits, Mm -hmm. so to speak. And you on your coaching, like what you could handle five years ago is probably nothing compared to what you now can handle. So you have to continually be changing and upping your limits as to what you can handle. And Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So what tips do you have for studio owners in regards to building a positive studio culture as well as addressing respectful behavior amongst parents, students, and the staff? Because I know that this can be an issue for a lot of studios and a lot of, you know, whether you're a small business owner or someone who's running a team of any kind, whether it's, you know, more business based um, with adults or working with children. I think there is always an aspect of it when it comes to dance studios and dance teams where sometimes parents can get involved in a way where it really can be offensive and make the the whole experience unpleasant for everybody. And sometimes... Yeah. The children are not all parented the same and how they handle certain situations might come off as disrespectful to other people. And how do you address that and make sure everybody's on the same page so everybody's growing and, you know, really doing what they're coming to do and staying focused on the common goal, which is to dance and to work together and work as a team? Um, I was just saying that I feel the number one thing is communication Mm -hmm. and if you hear something, you know, I talked earlier about creating the morale and the, the feeling that you have with one another. Mm-hmm. And you can't just, it's, it's like a shower. You can't just take a shower one day and expect it to last. You have to, do, you have to inspire your kids daily. You have to communicate with your parents. I, I try to do what's called the one-minute manager. If I hear something said in the studio lobby or by some of my kids in the locker room, I deal with it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I deal with it right away because then they know that I'm listening, and they also will know that I deal with things. Mm-hmm. And like I've even had instances where I've sent a podcast out to parents so they can hear what I'm thinking rather than me write an email. Right. It, it comes across differently. Yeah. How I say it. Mm-hmm. But um, – I I do parents meetings, especially for high school team, mm-hmm. and I've actually created a really neat parent meeting where I have the parents fill out a Google Doc, like what is your hope for your child this year right. on our team? What are your goals for her? And then the next question is, well, if and if she's not able to reach those goals, what do you hope her experience will be like? And I think that stops them them in their tracks and lets them think about, well, what if they don't meet their goals? What do I want for her? You know, and I have the kids fill out, fill out the same one. And then at the parent meeting, I don't say names or anything, but I, I go, here's what the, the team members are saying. 
And here's what the parents are saying. And I want to think about this before we get to the next stage. And I did that for the first time this past past summer. And I've only had one parent call this year. And I have 45 kids on my team and only 24 make varsity. Right. So I felt pretty, pretty, pretty good about that. So um, just really communicating the whys too. This is why I do this. And I, I run a tight ship with my high school kids. I don't have a demerit system. I don't have rules. I have, you know, the difference between right and wrong. Try to choose what's right. And we're not about rules. We're about, you know, if you're going to do something that's detrimental to yourself, it's also going to be hurtful to our team. So try to choose when making choices, choose what's right for our team. Mm -hmm. And most of the time that works. Like I don't have, if I ever start having a problem with any issue, like a, like a 10, it's usually not attendance, but possibly lateness, I just address it. And I don't say, oh, 500 pushups or you know, and a lot of people do, they, they punish. I more, I more talk about the why I, I need you on time because of this, because yeah. of this reason. So, yeah, I don't know if I answered that, but, um, I think, yeah, that definitely addresses it. I think in regards to the parents, that seems like a, an innovative technique. I just really feel teachers and coaches allow p- people to treat them how they treat them. If you don't want to be treated a certain way, don't stand for it. And like, for example, if I had a kid roll their eyes at me, they would be out of my room so fast that their head would spin. No kid would ever roll their eyes at me. A new one might, but they they quickly get a little, uh, we don't do that here. And I'm polite. I'm nice. And my kids like me. They love me. But they know I don't put up with any crap. Um, tough, tough as nails, you know. Mm-hmm. So. I feel like you, you don't want to be a doormat as a coach for the parents, you know, or, or the kids you want to be, you know, not standing for that type type of treatment. Yeah. And it's like, really, i I was raised as a dancer that way that you respect your instructors because they have a lot more experience than you. And, you know, they're taking a lot and how much they give to be able to, be present with us as dancers. I mean, it's a huge commitment for them in their life. And I think that's totally worth being respected. And I think there's always ways in which we can learn from people that maybe have a few more years than us. You know, I just. Oh, absolutely. I was totally always raised with that. And I think. um, And every kid isn't is what's sad, you know, and sometimes that's what you're teaching them. So. Right. Yeah, yeah. especially when they're going to conventions and things like that now, which has become really, really popularized. And, you know, as far as like the competition circuit, it's just kind of added another level in there. It's like when you're in the presence of these instructors and you're yearning to get scholarships and get noticed, like there are certain things that you have to do to set yourself apart. And I think etiquette and being polite is huge. And people don't really realize how far that will go in life and how detrimental it can be if you don't have those little details taken care of, you know, just not talking on the sidelines, making sure that when you're in class, you're focused. It's not slumber party, like save all the chit chat for your group text message. This is not the time because Uh you're going to get noticed for the wrong reasons if that's what you're coming there to do. So I think, you know, I think, I think, 
Oh, I'm sorry. I, I totally agree with you. I think having you, you mentioned commitment, you've committed a lot to your kids. And I think it's fair to tell them that, that I've given up a lot for you. And I expect you to answer back with commitment to yeah. me. With mutual commitment is going to help us overcome all of our odds because we're committed together. So perfect. Very yeah. True. Yeah. I think it's so important for that to be brought into the culture of their learning environment and something that they take into all other aspects of their life. Cause I know, you know, from like learning and business and, um, you know, in, in other areas of my life, it's something that I've always taken with me and helped me foster good relationships with people that have served as mentors to me in my life. So, um, and it's opened up doors for me as well. So I think learning that skill as young as possible and, a you know, practicing that level of respect is very important. And, um, you know, I think. It's and sometimes you, got, you have to teach them that some kids never say thank you. And, you know, it, 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 everything you do, like if we're leaving our bus, I'll tell my kids when you go, you have to thank the bus driver when, you know, we leave everything a little better than we found it. It's all these little things that you're teaching them. So. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Now, what did, advice do you have for instructors and choreographers that are really interested in maximizing their class time? Because sometimes we only have them for 45 minutes or a half an hour private or an hour long, you know, class. And there, there's so much that, you know, by a certain point in your career that you want to be able to offer them, you know, there's a ton of technique that can always be addressed. There's times where you want to slow things down or you want to get, you know, a little bit more detailed with things. And then there's other times where you want to push them for stamina, whether they're picking up new choreography quickly or across the floors or, um, you know, really motivating them to practice a lot of different skills. What techniques do you encourage instructors and choreographers to use when they are trying to get a lot done in a short amount of time? Well, um, and I think that's great, you know, great thing to think about because if you, if your parents are paying you a high price, sometimes I, I told our directors under me, think about they're paying a minute and are you offering them what they should be getting per minute? And one of the things is no downtime. I try to create a culture and a mentality that we have so much to do and so little time. Mm -hmm. So I want, I want them to feel urgency. And sometimes I'll hang little signs up that says, you know, feel, feel, you've got to feel the way I do. You got to have that, um, urgency. I don't allow kids to interrupt. And I, I, one of the things I'll tell my kids is there is a such thing as a dumb question and you're not allowed to ask it at my practice. (laughs) Your mom lied to you. There is a such, (laughs) uh, and so, Oh my goodness. (laughs) The amount of times I've gotten those from students sometimes, which is like, really? Yeah. And I think, you know, we all, everyone listening here probably could chuckle that, yes, they ask. And sometimes it's to, they have different, are different motives. Sometimes it's to trip you up and make you look. they want attention. They want attention. Totally. So, um, I just try to have more to do in the 45 minutes. Like say I'm having a 45 minute class. I want to have at least an hour worth of material that I want to cover so that I can get going you know, so that I feel that urgency myself. And that, that keeps you pressed. And we all know that, okay, say you're teaching choreography and you don't have anything ready, you'd stretch it out to last as long as you can. So, you know, the more you have ready, the more, the, when you have something new to bring to the table, the the better the class is going to be. So the more, 
the more prepared you are, the better. I've done a class in New York called Fill the Hour. And what I did was take anything that I like and I divided it into, I'd have to show you a grid, but for instance, cardio, um, center, like uh, core strengthening and technique. And so I divided it into different categories and, and teaching choreography. So I would have like a little grid and I'd have basically like mix and match that I could pull out of different columns for that category. Like say it was cardio. I have maybe 10 choices of cardio or whatever, but I like to have stuff ready at my fingertips so I can just go, Oh yeah. You know, when you've been teaching a long time, you can pull, just pull it out of your, out of the air, but you do tend to forget things and then go, Oh yeah, I used to do that. So I like it all there in a booklet. Mm -hmm. I keep, keep it on my computer, but so I like, um, you know, t- I even have like a grid where it's like what I'm going to do that hour and fill it out by the five minutes. And and I'm not always that organized, but um, I like to have things to reach from. But, you know, I think other little techniques, I never wait for kids to line up. I just start. Um, I never stand there and count or wait. I just I'm like, OK, here we go. And if someone's not there, they're they're the ones missing out. And if they're noisy, I start counting, talking very quiet. So they have to listen. I'm, I'm never going to lose my cool and yell. I, um, I just start talking really quiet. So they have to pull in and focus or they're going to miss it. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I don't know. It did. I can't remember all the question, but I just try to keep everything fast paced. I have kids run to line up. I had about eight coaches come watch one of my practices last week and they go, I cannot believe the speed at which you guys move. And they go, some of the stuff you're telling the kids to do, they go, we weren't even following it, but then they did it. And I go, I know they just have that in their, you know, they just have that in their nature that that's how we learn as we learn fast. Mm -hmm. So. And it does serve as such a skill in life to be able to do that because I think if you're able to learn lessons quickly in life, you don't have to, you know, be tripping over yourself in life so much where you, it takes you longer to learn certain lessons. And I think that's part of choreography. I mean, you can apply it in any aspect, right? You know, like. Right, right. Any aspect that there's a saying, work expands to fill the hours given. And it is so true. Like if you know you have a deadline of such a day, mm-hmm. you get it done. If you know it's way longer, like for instance, we're performing Friday and our kids think we're doing kick and jazz and we're only doing kick but we're not telling them that (laughs) we want them to keep working and then on friday go oh we found out we don't have to do jazz because then it's going to be ready if they knew they didn't have to do it they'd be shutting down totally so yeah sometimes if i need to have something done quicker i schedule a performance so they have to get it done at wherever might be at a you know might be for the parents but that helps them get pushing faster when they know they have to do it in front of everyone. Absolutely. And I think that also when it goes back to setting everything up ahead of time, like kind of creating that routine for yourself as an instructor that you have something to go by, that it's it's a good routine to have. It's good to have the different pieces that you can put in there because sometimes when we do improvise, that's when all of that, you know, the weird questions from the students pop up and then we end up talking for a long time and all that. Like, they get really distracted. And it's like they 
I feel like the students want to be there to dance, but if you don't give them anything to do, that's their default is they're going to go back to what they know and they're not really going to respect it. So I love that you have that template for yourself and that that's been super effective for you because it's obviously working. So It works good. It really does. Yeah. So – when it comes to um, directing and orchestrating special events, what are some of the less as- like seen aspects, I guess, that solidify and really guarantee a strong showcase for everyone involved? I know you just mentioned that you try to plan things ahead of time or like schedule a performance so it really puts the pressure on them to perform full out and um, like get really motivated to do it. But what are some of the other... Um, aspects as a director that you think are maybe a little bit less obvious that really play an important role? Um, I think attention to the smallest details. I like to push. Now you're talking uh, with, with a high school team or I mean like special events like the Outback Bowl or competitions or. um, I think if you want to speak to maybe the Outback Bowl, since that is a larger scale production, okay. I mean, no less important than any of the other, you know, right. I'm sure that there's a common thread throughout, but maybe we okay. can speak to that one specifically. So say that I'm getting ready to do the Outback Bowl. Like last year, to give you an idea, we had about 900 dancers. So once you're going automatic pilot, you have to be ready for anything. And so you have to have the smallest details handled and answered. So as many questions as you can have answered in the advance when you're doing something big, whether it's your spring recital or, or a competition you're going to. So that advanced planning, um, I, I'm really a firm believer to push up your deadlines in your head, fake out that, okay, what if I had to do this tomorrow? What would be the thing that was hanging over me, causing me stress and try to do that, check that off your list and move it to the done list so that you don't have it hanging over you. Um, I keep great. I call them control lists from years to years. And I will recap everything and anything. I get teased about it in our office that I recap everything. I even recap Thanksgiving dinner. That's getting weird, but I do like, Oh, wish I'd had this wish I wouldn't have done that. You know, So um, if you have the same people doing the same job from year to year, it's going to make your life way easier. For instance, if it's your recital, like with the Outback Bowl, I bring back the same crew every year because I know they know how to do bus check. I know they know how to set up the scanners for scanning the kids on and off the bus. I know they know where we're going, so they won't be like, oh, Disney World, I'm so excited. You know, they they know what it looks like where when they're talking about it. They know the stadium. So, um, and they know you and what you expect and what I expect. And that's another thing is when I was doing this big event and we had so many staff, it was probably 30 staff. Some were new, some were, had been there. I send them out a voice podcast about, here's what I expect. When we have meetings, this will happen. And this will happen. You're going to be tired. Wear these kind of shoes. Do you know, I try to tell them anything they need to know in advance so they don't get there and go, Oh my gosh, I didn't know we had a formal banquet, you know? So communication is huge there. The other thing I do is I start what I call staging areas for all the various activities that I go from in a normal week. And I, if I have something that needs to go to this place or that place, I put it in the staging area so I don't forget it, even like with personal things. So I kind of am a keeper of bins and, you know, I do it early so that 
the day, you know, I work with someone who's my assistant now. And at first I think I drove her crazy because she'd be like, that's not for three weeks, but you're getting it out there now. And I'm, I'm trying to always work ahead. So this project is getting done. And meanwhile, I'm working on the next project. When I first, when I first started, I'd be like, okay, when this project was over, I'd be like, now what am I going to do? And then the next one would be right upon you. So right now I have to work ahead. And I think especially with like things like choreography, that is a, if you're a creative person, like we all are, that's the hardest thing for you to do is to plan ahead, you know, cause you might not be in the mood for what you, you did, you know, but you got to do it. So totally. yeah. yeah, I can speak to that. I mean, this past year, I typically get all of my choreography done in August and I just, you know, I had quite a bit to get done. I think like, you know, over 20 routines in August to, <laughs> to, to get done. So, and I was dealing with pneumonia. I was, I was, um, dealing with pneumonia between July and August. So I was no longer really having a strong fever, but I was still in the studio eight to nine hours a day and setting choreography, you know, like contemporary jazz, musical theater, tap, um, lyrical, everything. And, um, you know, it was, it was really physical, but at the same time, I think, Having dealt with sickness and dancing as much as I did growing up, I knew that I just needed to get it done. And I think because I love dancing so much and love setting choreography so much, there's honestly no way I would have been able to get it done unless I loved it. Like, absolutely no way I would have been able to get it done. And, you know, I think it really is important to get that done as soon as possible. That way you give the student the maximum amount of time to practice before you go to competition and I think, you know, a lot of conventions have started coming up earlier and earlier. And when you can get them to qualify for scholarships and, you know, opportunities where they can go back to that convention and go back to any city that they're visiting throughout the whole season, that's pretty important. So, you know, I like to have my students eligible to be, you know, able to have those opportunities. So it was kind of mind over the matter and I just had to get it done. But absolutely prepping choreo ahead of time is uh. always a really, really really effective in having a good season, I feel. And it really hangs over you if you don't. I mean, I think anything that you don't have done, it's just like hanging over you and it's it, it takes more energy than doing it sometimes. And I think having it having that pressure put on me to just get it done as soon as possible. Like the routine, I feel like you can probably relate to this too. Like it's kind of like when we listen to a piece of music, we already kind of know what we want to do. So it's like, why stretch it out so long and wait to the last minute? It's like, you got to trust your instincts and like put what choreography you want to with that student. And, Mm -hmm. um, you know, and then also like with the private lessons and stuff that follow it, you have opportunities to tweak certain things, but I think just getting it out is really, really important. And I think getting past that mental barrier of thinking about it too much also really gets challenged as well. And I know for, for the way everyone choreographs different, I, I count everything out in one through eight. It's on a sheet of paper and I make little shorthand notes the whole way through. And my daughter did not do that. And then sometimes she'd be just overwhelmed and I'd be like, sit down, let me help you. I'll show you how I do this. And, and it makes it more manageable because Mm -hmm. realize, okay, I'm going to put this here, this here. It's kind of like a blueprint. Like if you're building a house, you would need a blueprint. And so that can help people that have a lot of choreography to do. And I don't make up the whole piece always ahead of time. 
but I make up what I need for a couple weeks, yeah. you know, so that I'm always ahead of where I need to be. Hopefully not always, yeah. but in perfect world. Yeah. yeah. But then it does give you that flexibility. If you see it on a student and you want to tweak something like <laughs> you at least have that foundation there even if you do like kind of improvise something else different for them or feel the music differently, oh, right. like, it allows you to have that flexibility rather than like just scraping something together and it being kind of more of an act of desperation. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that's, that's awesome. Um, what, what's a time that you can remember where it was very much the theme was the show must go on like in any aspect of production or oh. team member, like I'm sure you probably have many to pull from. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I've had a million. Yeah. Um, probably one of the longest, there was two days of major productions that ended up being the longest day of my life. One was the orange Bowl. We were on the big orange Bowl, which is the big halftime televised. And I had 675 kids and the, I get them to the practice. The orange Bowl game was at night that year and it was in Miami and it was at about seven at night and they the producer canceled the halftime practice, but didn't tell us. So we were all the way there locked out of the orange wall stadium. And we had to be in the parking lot all day and it was hot. It was about a hundred degrees. And yeah, I had to pretend to the kids that that's what I wanted to do that day. We had no food. It was the worst day, <laughs> oh my goodness. but, but it, ended, it ended up being a funny memory. And that sounds um, rough. Yeah, that was a, that was a tough day. There, I've had several different ones. Uh, we, had, we had a Minnesota Twins opener performance one year, and we had 1,400 kids, and, and I got my kids in backward. Like the, the, kick, the lines that they were in were reversed, and how do you flip around 1,400 kids? It wasn't easy. So that was not a fun day either. But you know, there's been so many different things, um, you know, minor ones where, you know, you just deal with it, what happens, you know, so had buses break down, we've had, you know, um, people forget like, costumes, I'm sure. Yeah, we've had fire in our hotel room. I've, I've probably been in three hotel fires, believe it or not. In an earthquake, we we were in a big flood once with our whole team, and we lost all our keys, all our shoes, all you know. Wow. We were, we actually were in Santa Monica when that happened, but. And that's part of it. Yeah. I feel like the growth process that you get to go through as a coach too, because it's like they're always looking to you to see, okay, how are you going to handle this when yeah. all of that happens? So it's like. Oh. You know. Inside you're dying, but you know you you make it like oh this is great you know right so, like going on stage with an injury it's like you just learn oh, to smile yeah. and pretend like nothing's wrong yeah yeah uh, one of our funniest years I well this wasn't funny but I I was in a head on collision and I broke 14 bones in my feet and ankles so I was in a oh I was in a wheelchair all winter and my assistant coach fell out of a truck moving and broke her arms. So I'm like, I'll do the arms. You do the legs. Yeah. We'll do this together. And you made it happen. You made it work. And now we laugh. It's kind of a funny story that we were, you know, tag teaming on yeah. what we do. Well, that's quite a incident that you experienced. I mean, how was that for you in the process of recovery? And I mean, oh. even the mental aspect of just feeling almost 
You know, I know for many dancers, you know, when you experience an injury, there's such frustration because you're like, gosh, like I've worked so hard to get to this place. And now I'm, you know, like they know that they're capable of doing it, but the injury can be um, holding them back in so many aspects that it's just, you know, you just you can't do anything to fix it and you have to stop and rest and that's like yeah. not what you want to do. <laughs> you just want to keep I think moving. That's, I think that's tough for any dancer is, is to realize, you know, sometimes you do get injured and, and you learn different things. I, I actually got injured in high school and I feel that's how I started coaching because I started mm-hmm. watching and realized I had an eye for that. And, you know, the year of my car accident was, oh, it was, I had to move out of my home. I, I, I couldn't take care of my little kids. It was, it was tough, you know, cause I couldn't even use crutches because it was both legs and both feet. So yeah, that wasn't high on my fun thing, but you do learn to get through it and make it, you have to work around the situation and make it work. So, and a lot of people come help you when you have something like that happen. Oh, that's when you realize how great the parents are and they just rallied around me. It was wonderful. Well, I'm grateful you had that support to get you through. Oh, it was wonderful. Yeah. And that's kind of like, you know, the love that you give to them. It's it's almost an expression of that coming back to you, you know, in the times where you really need it because you're there for them when they are really going through their growth points. And that's nice that that was reciprocated. Oh, it is. And yeah. people, you know, people are wonderful. The old saying, what goes around comes around is so true. So uh, that's why you, I guess we want to treat people like we want to be treated. Absolutely. <laughs> so. Well, getting more now into the clothing line aspect of Just for Kicks, what was the inspiration for that and how has that evolved over the years? Oh, it's funny because we always, my husband and I always said that is the one business we will never get into is, mm. yeah, and here we are. And and it was all out of more necessity to try to meet the needs of our growing student base. Right. And we wanted to be able to control delivery. And we always thought, you know, oh, yeah, we can do this better. And it's the toughest business. It, it makes running a dance studio look like child's play because it, it, it definitely is the hardest thing we've ever done. It's very unpredictable. Uh, like right now we're in our crunch season and we just had a cutter go down and they were supposed to overnight the part and the person forgot to overnight it. And then, then the next day, so, you know, we're just totally shut down. They're, they're now flying it here on a plane because we got so upset. So that's a tough one. But the inspiration was more um, finding th- things that were comfortable and affordable for dancers. And the, the new dye sub collection is the fabric is so soft. It's not itchy and it fits. And it has the look of being very expensive because it's all printed on there, but yet it doesn't have all the cuts and appliques and design time that like, if you had all the pieces that went into some of these, they'd be four and $500 mm-hmm. and they're not, you know? So that's, yeah. what's kind of neat. They look, uh, my team just got a new one today. In fact, that my high school team that I coach, I volunteer for, and it's a Michael Jackson one and it's just neat and it looks so cool but it's just printed on there it's amazing yeah and i know like for me growing up i had like a seamstress make all of my costumes and you know they would be it would be like couture you know like all of the fabrics were hand chosen and designed and like rhinestoned and they were hundreds of dollars you know for these costumes and i still have a lot of them and i'm just like you know like i treasure them they're so special and um 
But at the same time, that's not always cost effective for everybody who wants to allow their kid to dance. And um, well, possibly th- for solos or something. But when right. you're getting, yeah. you know, of thirty five, forty, that gets really expensive. Definitely, yeah. And like so many routines too, because a lot of dancers when they do get into you know, it, it can be really laborsome for seamstresses as well for like huge production numbers to do a custom piece for every single child. So um, and visually to be appealing, sometimes when you have so many dancers on stage, it really doesn't take too much to make that happen, but can be really accentuated by certain aspects. And I did see the costumes when we um, saw each other at Dancer Palooza this past summer. And yeah, the fabrics are so soft and the amount of detail that goes into the costumes, when you look at it up close, it's easy to see like where all of the different, um, you know, patterns are and that they would be easy to embellish if somebody wanted to do that as an option. But with rhinestones, exactly. But like from far away, it really does come off and visually appears like much different than it does up close, which I think adds another level of dimension to the performance and alleviates a lot of extra stress in regards to costume design and all of that. So have you found that your clients really appreciate the new techniques that you guys are doing with the costume creation? It, it, yes, because it's, it's scary right now that we didn't know what to expect and it's just blowing up, which, you know, which is great, but now we're like, oh my gosh, we got to add a second shift and you have to know what you're doing. You can't just pull anyone off the street. So now our challenge is meeting the needs of everyone that has wanted to do a team store or do the costumes. So right. it's an exciting, exciting problem. Yeah. That's yeah. awesome. That's I'm really glad to hear that that's taken off because I feel like yeah. that's a way in which you guys really set yourself apart, like with the type of fabrics that you're using and the type of design that you use. That is something that really I don't see any other costume company really coming close to. And yeah, we have plans to add way different things and way more. So it's it's going to be a growing, evolving. Our catalog that we did, we put together in three months, believe it or not. So it's supposed, supposedly would take a year to two years to do what we did three months. So yeah. yeah. So as an accomplished businesswoman now, like what obstacles have you overcome in the process of creating all that you have today? I mean, even going back to when you were just starting out versus, you know, 10 years in, was there ever a point where you thought that this was something that maybe you didn't want to continue with? What's your progression been like and what what do you think you've, what are a few points that you really feel like you've learned along the way that really hit home with you? Um, well, it, you have to expect failure. You have to expect to fail. And, you know, I love the saying fail harder. It's by the, um, book lean in. I read that book and, uh, yeah, it's a great book. I can't think, why can't I say your name right now? But, um, you have to expect that there's going to be some downs and that everything you do isn't going to, you know, we had a cheer cheer catalog that we lost a million dollars on. And we had, um, you know, we've had just numerous things. I could, I could just list and list all the things that have gone wrong that we thought might be amazing. And we put our heart and soul into it. Then it didn't go, but you just have to go, okay. You almost have to pretend you're playing monopoly in some ways and everything you do, you learn, you learn from it. I I would love to start over knowing all I know now, but that's not possible. And 
it's such a learning uh, process. But um, yeah, my did you say what advice would I have, or or what have I overcome? I would think. I mean, I would love for you to answer both of those questions. Maybe talking about what you've learned first. Um, I think you you have to learn that you know everybody wants to be successful, but you you are going to work harder than you ever imagined to get to the level that, and, and it, you never really arrive. It's just always still like, just like I was saying today, finding out that we have all these orders, it's great, but now how are we going to keep up with them? Mm-hmm. So it's never like you arrive at the train station and you're successful. It's like you're daily hitting it hard, you know, running and chasing it and getting after it every single day. So I just guess I, people need to realize it's not going to be hands off. If you're going to be in a big business, you really have to work hard. Um, Learn to surround yourself with great people because you can't do everything yourself. So figure out what you are good at and surround yourself by with people who can um, augment you and supplement you so that you can focus on what you do well and let other people focus on what they do well. You have to be disciplined when you're on your, you are your own boss because you could stay home every day if you wanted to, but typically you're the one that's there first and last leaving last. Yeah. Um, so just being resilient, learning to land on all fours when things go wrong. Um, you had pointed out earlier, like have mentors, learn from people that, that have already figured it out and ask for advice and take it. One thing I found out when you're at conventions and whatnot is a lot of people just want to talk about themselves. They want to talk about themselves. So listen, 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 and you're going to learn a lot. Um, you you want to learn from others and what not to do and what to do. So, yeah, if you're, um, ha- I think you have to have deeper pockets than you think because you usually don't show a profit for a long time and you know, if you start out in a service business, it's a lot easier than, for instance, the uniform business. Mm-hmm. So. Or just the money isn't getting managed as well. Right. And I, I know that I've, you know, unfortunately that experience that with seeing some of the businesses close, in, including my home studio that I grew up dancing at, that ended up happening. But I think... um You know, being that I do have a background in tax accounting as well, I think that approaching things with a business mindset is so important. And I feel like the business owners and the dance studios that I've seen succeed the longest with healthy financial records really do approach it and they treat their business as a business. I feel like so many people um, that are dancers, it's like, oh, yeah, like we want to start a place and everybody can come to dance and, you know, it'll be wonderful and everything. And it's more of a creative mindset, but remembering that it is a business and that you have to treat it as a business and um, take care of your books, take care of your staff, take care of your taxes, all that type of stuff in order to make sure that you're able to last long term and even deal with fluctuations in your student count, you know, making sure that you have good retention, that you're not losing your students to other places when you could otherwise be retaining them. um, Totally. Mm -hmm. And I I think, too, that knowing the overhead, like you'd be so much smarter to start with a smaller studio and max it out every day of the week, Fridays, Sundays, everything, then build one with three studios and have it sitting vacant half the time. Absolutely. So I think that's what people don't always think about. 
but having someone with that financial side is really helpful. Yeah. And I mean, do you recommend people like, I mean, from my perspective, I feel like if someone's not educated in the financial realm that they, you know, maybe even take some courses or they invest in having an accountant or a financial planner really work with them. And sometimes it can be a little bit expensive to, um, Mm. you know, make that happen. But I mean, would you say from your perspective that it's worth that to have good people who, Oh, you need good, you need good advice if that's not what your forte is. And I know like what we do with our youth programs, not that I'm trying to do a plug for them, but that's kind of the neat thing that we we do is we hire people and they are employees of ours, but they are on commission. So the better they do, the more money they make. And we do everything for them, their website, we do their accounting, we do their, you know, online payments and they, their newsletters. They just have to submit everything. But basically, it's like having a business partner that is helping you be successful. We we tell them what rent is too much rent. We, you know, we, we go through all that stuff so that they can be making some good money mm-hmm. and be successful. Plus, we all the things you were talking about, like retention and advertising, and that's all done. We have a graphics department. We have you know, training and everything. So if you're a type of person that would like to start a studio, but don't want to have the business hassles, it definitely would be for you, you know, and the time that you're going to spend, we also do all the choreography too. So that's pretty wonderful. They have like a a website they can go to pull routines Mm -hmm. from. So that's kind of neat. That is, you sound like a great resource to anybody that you're working with. Um, so what is your advice for women interested in starting their own business and really achieving long-term success and expansion? And I think what I mean by this question is how to deal with the failures, like specifically, like mentally dealing with those challenges, because when you start a business and then, you know, sometimes people have their business for like 10 years longer than that. And then all of a sudden some type of hardship may hit and everything feels like maybe things are a bit more strained or what have you, like, you know, a variety of different things could come up, but it almost, how do you deal with um, working past emotions of not feeling like a failure, not being too hard on yourself, like putting pressure on yourself to an extent so that you are able to, get out of a situation and move past a situation with a bit of discernment, but at the same time, not let it turn into um, deprecating type behavior. Well, I think that it takes a special type of person. I, I think there's so many people that they know they could not be in business for themselves and, and they know that they wouldn't handle the failure. And I think you've got to know that you got to be true to yourself. Yeah, so really just making sure people are honest with themselves in regards to knowing if they're really ready to take on that kind of challenge. And Absolutely. Well, thank you so much, Cindy. Are there any final thoughts that you want to leave us with? And just so we can check the mic one more time, I really want everybody to be able to hear what you have to say. I just thank you for having me on, and I hope I was able to share some wisdom with you. Plenty. Thank you so much, Cindy. Well, thank you guys so much for tuning in. I really appreciate it. Please go check out Cindy at justforkicks.com and all the different 
you know, summer programs that she offers. Check out her costumes. If you guys are interested in any of that, I will leave links in the description. Thank you again so much. And we'll see you guys next time on another episode of Vibrant Raw Living. Bye. Thank you. Thank you for tuning in to Vibrant Raw Living. Remember that you are just as worthy, deserving, and capable of achieving and maintaining your dreams as much as anyone else. If you have found this podcast useful, please subscribe via iTunes or SoundCloud and share it with your friends and family. You can find links to my Instagram, YouTube, Facebook, Pinterest, and Snapchat in the show notes below. And if you'd like to follow me for updates, which I only share via email, come on over to my website at victoriamadian.com. I love you and I'm wishing you a wonderful day. Go out there and discover your infinite potential. 